0: This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.
1: Hey everybody, welcome into Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you, as I'll be every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify, Apple, ripodcast.com, or wherever you're listening right now, and continuing season four, welcoming in the new speaker of the house here in Rhode Island, Joe Akarchi. Now the last time Joe Akarchi was on the show, it was in his capacity as majority leader. We were here at The Loft pre-pandemic, obviously a lot has changed including, of course, a new speaker, an incoming governor, a lot of young, new energy coming into both chambers of the General Assembly. And at large, I think the tectonic plates, if you will, of Rhode Island politics have shifted just a bit with more social consciousness around issues like a living wage, social justice in general, and of course, trying to make policy in terms of economically with everything that has happened as a result of the the lockdowns, the shutdowns, Related to COVID nineteen. So there's a lot we get into today with the speaker. An interesting conversation. Always a pleasure to have you on board. Now, if you want to support B Town, there's a few ways you can do so. First of all, you can just leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. You can share an episode on social media or text somebody an episode. If you want to go a step further, you may become a B Town insider by heading to patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown or just click the support link, you know, the little heart wherever you're listening. And for as little as $3 per month, you can help to sustain the independent journalism, opinion, analysis, and entertainment that we've become known for. Also, a quick shout-out, if you are a subscriber to Rhode Island Monthly, and even if you're not, if you see it on newsstands, keep an eye out for uh, <clears throat> yours truly. they a little profile that uh, features me and kind of talking about the show and sort of the origins of it and where we're going as well to a certain extent. So keep an eye out for Rhode Island Monthly this month for a feature on B town Okay, let's get right to it today. The new Speaker of the House here in Rhode Island in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, Joe Shikarchi. All right, so Speaker Joe Shikarchi, that must feel good to hear that and say that. I mean, let's be honest. Now, you know, it's been a few months since you became Speaker-Designate, and, and of course, you know, we're a couple of weeks into the session, but what does that feel like? Is that something that you had always sort of had as a goal, or... Um, even just in the service context, what does that seem like to you?
0: Uh, honestly, that's, uh, you're the first person I've done so many interviews, the first person who've asked me that, and it doesn't really feel anything different. Um, I never was crazy about the titles. And I never really, you know what when, when I got elected in the general Assembly the first year, you know two years I was there. I didn't like it. I almost didn't want to run again. I, I didn't like it. The first year I was there, I had a lot of knowledge. I had worked for Governor Sondland. I had been a lobbyist. I had uh, a lot of knowledge about it. And I felt kind of like as a freshman, uh, ineffective, you know, uh, not be able to, you know, have a voice or be heard. And then um, in my second year of my freshman term, uh, you know, Gordon Fox resigned, as we all know, Nick Manuel became speaker. I backed Nick uh, right from the beginning and which was very unusual as a freshman i became chairman of house labor and that was that was huge that changed my whole perspective now all of a sudden i had an office i had a desk i had a secretary i had a clerk i had a lawyer all who helped me with labor and it was it was wonderful and i had my own committee to run and i never really wanted to be on labor and then i found out as i grew into it it's like the best committee it was the best committee for me i loved it i enjoyed it very much so I actually had ideas about running maybe for general treasurer or mayor of Warwick, but uh, just by you know time going by in the house, I started to move up the, the ladder. And then when I became majority leader, that's when it, it, you know Bill Murphy always says, and it's so true, it's the House of Ambition. But when you become majority leader and you're the number two, I think every number two person in the country, every majority leader at some point wants to be speaker. So And, and Nick has been very gracious to me when I was the majority leader. He included me in a lot of stuff. So I, I got to see how the speakers operated. And I had invaluable education as you know being majority leader for four years. So that helped me immensely uh, to be prepared to you know, hit the ground running. And I think it helped me, honestly, to get elected, that I had built relationships as majority leader and as chairman of labor and helped out my colleagues and uh, be, was supportive and continue to support them not only politically, but in a lot of ways. And you build relationship. And I think that came back in dividends. If you look at how Joe Shikachi got elected speaker, it was, you know, Larry will tell you it's about fifty-five, fifty-six votes, but it spans the whole gamut of the ultra progressives to the moderates to the conservative Democrats. Um, so I'm yeah. proud of that. I'm proud of those relationships. And I, I hope I can continue. And you, it, the inevitable question is like, you know, what do you want to do? I want to be the best speaker I can be for my caucus, for my members. And that includes the Republicans, the progressives, the moderates, the uh, conservatives. I want to be, um, uh, supportive of everybody. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And I was there that night. It was at, what the crown Plaza hotel or whatever it's called now. And yeah. I think it was what one person who abstained and, and, um, Lana Kassar, voted for herself or abstained whatever it was you did have an an overwhelming number of uh, votes there but you know there's been this talk it's kind of floated around and, and um the notion that okay here comes the progressive caucus and you know they're coming in with you know this sort of aggressive play in in the senate and possibly in in the house side and somehow there's this massive division but In state government, that managerial context, how much of this is actually more of a fabrication for media in the sense of it's more of a storyline versus actually getting work done, where different ideas, what makes sense in that moment and what makes sense for the better good of the average Rhode Islander is the priority versus, you know, progressive wins or Republican wins or old guard wins, whatever.
0: You know i'm I'm glad you said that because I really believe i don't I don't like to label people or caucuses. I just think it's all about you know, we're all different. My mother used to say Howard Johnson has thirty two different flavors of ice cream because we all like a different flavor. And it's the same thing. every representative that I know, and I know them all really wants to do what's best for Rhode Island. Now, we all have different ideas on what what is is best, and I get that. And that's what makes us so unique and so special. And that brings together a collaborative process, whether you want to believe it or not. And you're right. you're, You're like the only person who would recognize that. It is a label, and it's a label that gets elected, but it's not a label that you get governed with. The idea wins the day. The issue carries the vote. It's not about, oh, he's... Conservatives, I'm gonna vote what he wants, or she's progressive, I'm gonna vote what she wants. It's always about the issue. And if you listen to the debate, we had a very lively debate last night on the rules. And and they were debating honestly the the what it would for lack of a better word, the authority or the power of the speaker. And, and they were everybody was talking about the issue nobody was talking about me and even at one point i think representative place from burble said you know mr speaker this is about not about you and i and i looked at him and he, uh, and i said to him of course not i understand that i take none of that personally it was just about the issue i mean even teresa Tienzi, i mean just the the polar opposite of of place said the same thing this is not about speaker shikaji this is about the speaker two three speakers from now And I respect that. And and I I don't take any of that personally. And we had a very lively and uh, democratic and with the small d debate on the rules. And we passed some really substantial changes that I think will make the chamber better.
1: From Mario Hilario to Sheldon Whitehouse, from the issues of the day to the big picture questions facing the ocean state, discover hundreds of episodes of Rhode Island's podcast of record, B Town, wherever you're listening right now. Speaking of, of rep place, the Republican caucus throughout 2020, made an effort to say, hey, look, we want to be in session. We want to be providing oversight, um, whether in, in the context of literally the oversight committee or broadly the General Assembly. It led to optically and potentially practically some people to say, look, Governor Raimondo is the executive order and through, I guess, the collective will of her appearances on television on a daily basis and winning over the state to a certain extent, able to control the narrative in a way that is maybe not the most balanced form of government. Do you feel that was the case? And would you like this year? Obviously, you're already in session at the Vets, but do you see a more balanced form of the three branches, if you will?
0: So to answer your first part of that question is absolutely. That's the way it was. The governor carried the day. From March until September, October. But I will tell you that we, we in the General Assembly, we, we met. You know, we had we had lots of uh, activities going on, whether we had formal session or not. I never worked harder than I worked in 2020, even though we weren't in session, fielding all kinds of constituents' complaints and issues, answering stuff. Look, I get it. Nobody likes any one person to have all the control and power. But these are very unusual times. The first time in a generation in Article 9 of our Constitution clearly says, and I think it even uses the word pandemic or epidemic, but when we're in that, the state has to function with one voice. We can't have a lot of people deciding what's the best health policy, what's the best quarantine policy. We have to. This the criticism that the, that the Republicans echoed is not unique. I'm a member of an organization called SLLF, State Legislative Leaders Foundation, with speakers and majority leaders from all over the country. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whether your governor was Democrat or Republican, all legislators had the same belief or, or, or desire to get back in and work. And no, nobody wanted to have their governor of any state. Uh, have total control, and there's one other point I want to make out. We were very active. We were very involved. We had an oversight board. We had a debt board. Um, you know, we had hearings and we had session in July, June and July, and to, to move things along. But when the CARES Act money was sent to us by Washington, by President Trump, Speaker Pelosi, and, and Majority Leader McConnell, that CARES Act money, which Rhode Island got one point two five billion dollars was gave the exclusive control of that money to the governors. That was not state money, did not have to be passed in a budget, didn't have to go through the House Finance Committee. That's the way they set it up during a pandemic. And they set that up not just for Rhode Island. They set that up for all 50 states. So the criticism that governors in general were in control is a valid criticism. But that's the way it is in a pandemic and that's the way our constitution is. And that's the way the federal government sent the money that the governor would have control and spending of it. Going forward, the second part of your question is absolutely we're in session. We're going to be meeting in session regularly. We've passed some um, very uh, uh, forward, future types of rules that would allow us to conduct all of our committee hearings remotely if we desire, and also would allow proxy voting if a member was sick and couldn't make it during the pandemic. So, yeah, we, we plan on continuing. And I, I will feel very comfortable that when the House has had the opportunity to get our two vaccines and you know, wait the appropriate time for the vaccines to be at full strength that we can go back to the house. I don't know when that is. I'm hopeful it'll be sometime in the spring. Uh, you know, we, we have plexiglass set up for that, uh, but the spring things will be a little bit warmer. It's very cold out today, and when they're warmer, we can open all the windows in the lounge and create a good cross section of a breeze. As it is now, the vets is a very Uh, adequate facility but it's not our home it's a temporary chamber but they've been great hosts we have an unbelievable um air conditioning system that runs a fresh air system so if you come see us at the vets, and we have a limited number of space for the media you're welcome to come but the the reality is it's bring your winter jacket it's pretty cold in there
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I'm there for the governor's press conference and sometimes I've got my, you know, lion's mane hood up if it's (laughs) while we're waiting for it to come out because it is freezing. Of course, that space isn't free, but at the same time, it does allow for in-person sessions to take place going into February, which I guess bill month, as some people would say, Um, you know, there's there's specific policies that I remember asking you on the night that that that, uh, Democratic caucus in I think November was when it was. Of course it was because it was after the election. W- specific policies, cannabis legalization, um, $15 minimum wage. We heard about this justice budget that, frankly, reached across not just progressives, but even some moderates and I believe some Republicans kind of called for with respect to housing, criminal justice, things like this. How much of that will we see in terms of the House side in 2021?
0: It's up to the members. It will be a member driven chamber. I will tell you, there is no one bill that uh, does everything you just mentioned. So each individual bill will come in. It will be evaluated on the merits. It will go through the process. The process is deliberately slow. We want to collect input from everybody. And then we will make a decision. If there's a bill that has a fiscal component, it's not likely to have any kind of a a vote until May because we'll wait till the May revenue numbers. And that's the way it is. That's why people say, well, why do you do the budget so late? Because we don't, we like to put the budget together with the most accurate information as possible. And we have a fiscal conference. That's when the house, the Senate and the governors and fiscal staffs get together and they make a honest, fair prediction of what the revenue was going to be. Our tax revenue And we'll go forward on that. The other point, which is very unique right now is as if you're reading even in today's paper and online, uh, President Biden is formulating a very big stimulus package that will include direct aid to cities and towns, states and counties. So we will not uh, we recognize that back in December when we passed in the budget to allow the executive branch, uh, which we thought at the time was going to be Governor Raimondo, now it looks like it's going to be Governor McKee, uh, because their budget uh, is due right now uh, in the last of January, last week of January. We're going to delay that until early or mid-March so that we can have the benefit of whatever uh, stimulus is coming from Washington. We'll know those numbers so that we can craft a budget that Uh, adopts those numbers, the most accurate ones, and hopefully it will help ease some of the pain. Everything you talked about as far as issues, you know, we can have all kinds of policy debates, but it really comes down to we have a constitutional obligation to pass a balanced budget. And if we're going to be spending everything, that means we have to cut somewhere or raise taxes somewhere. And right now, as I'm speaking to you today, we have approximately a $500 million shortfall in projected uh, revenue uh, for our budget for next year.
1: Yeah, and no significant commitments to furloughs or anything like that on the inside, at least from the perspective of the executive branch. So you wonder where does that come from without aid from Washington?
0: So sure. not right now. We were very fortunate that when we passed the budget, uh, we were able to use approximately two hundred to three hundred million uh, in what I call the skinny budget in late December, and that gave us sustainability, put us in the best path forward. It was a short term, as I call a bridge budget gets us into the next year, but um, I'm hopeful that the uh, Biden administration will send a significant amount of revenue to the states, and that will help ease the pain in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm.
1: What about vaccines? We're seeing, uh, and we just saw yesterday, the rollout of a new version of phase two, as far as who will get it. It looks like it's going to be age-oriented now versus certain occupations kind of being put to the front. We've seen this controversy with board members that aren't practicing medicine in any capacity, getting the shot. That's at least raised some concerns. Rep. Williams put out a pretty significant press release on this matter. What role will the General Assembly take in terms of vaccine distribution um, if things don't improve in the next, I don't know, couple of months here?
0: So, uh, we have formed uh, under Chairman Hull a COVID task force, and we have had regular meetings with the Department of Health specifically about the vaccine rollout, who's getting it, how they're getting it. It was troubling to see the reports of you said that some people who really are not in a high risk group were being prioritized. I know the Attorney General is looking into that. We've had several legislators representing. Deputy Speaker Lima, as well as Chairwoman Williams, uh, echo strong concerns about that—legitimate concerns, I may add—and we need to get those answers as to why those people were uh, vaccinated ahead of other people who, you know, were in the 75, 85, 95 age groups. So those those are important questions. We have regular contact with the Department of Health. Um, we. We, we, there's not much we can do other than monitor it. The Department of Health falls under the purview of the executive branch. But I will say this, I have confidence in Dr. Alexander Scott and her team. Uh, nobody uh, you know, has an experience. There's no playbook on Pandemic 101 or Epidemic 101. So every state is, is learning as we go. Uh, I think uh, they've done a very good job overall. I think there's room for some improvement, and and chiefly among the areas of communication. I think if there was a clearer communication path forward of who's the priority group and when we're getting it, that would go a long way towards solving some of these criticisms. But I will say this, in all fairness for the state of Rhode Island, Department of Health, and everybody else, we have been shortchanged. We have been shortchanged by Washington. We were promised about thirty thousand doses a week. We're getting about sixteen to seventeen thousand a week. So our allocation was almost cut in half, with no explanation as to why. And you know, I don't know if uh, former President Trump didn't like Rhode Island because we were a blue state or not. I have no idea, uh, and I'm not a, a conspiracy theorist person. But we were promised thirty thousand. Uh, vaccines a week. We end up with 16. So right then and there, we're stopping with a short supply, and that will always lead to anxiety and and angst. So that's where we are. It it is what it is, and we're going to continue to monitor and share the information. And hopefully, uh, just yesterday, they came out with, in in my hometown of Warwick, we had 370 vaccines that were gone in 11 minutes. They opened up uh, the slots and they will go on in 11 minutes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we're starting to see that home rule, municipal control, even in on Aquinic Island, Middletown and Newport have announced they're going to do a similar thing in February, where on a local level, vaccines will be distributed. What about, uh, last question, Lieutenant Governor McKee, he's someone, he was the first guest ever on on this podcast, 270 episodes ago. Um, what What's that like for you? I mean, what kind of communication have you had with him? And I mean... You've been around each other for years now in Rhode Island politics. You're the new speaker. He's now the governor. Well, he will be barring any chaos in Washington that, that may, may or may not take place, but highly unlikely that he won't be governor. So what's that like for you?
0: It's interesting. And I I know Dan fairly well, and I get along with him very well. We both went to the same high school. We both went to Mount St. Charles. He's a little bit older than me, but, um, you know, we, we share, I guess what I would use the word a moderate Democrat, uh, label. Um, so it's a growing relationship and it's a good one. We've had communications. We've actually met in person and we've had a communications. We were supposed to meet a couple of weeks ago when he was in a quarantine situation. Um, so I'm hopeful that you actually get a cup of coffee with him this weekend just to check in. Uh, he, look, his heart's in the right place. He wants to do the right thing. Uh, you know, this has been said in the press before that the governor's like an East Side Democrat. He's in a Blackstone Valley Democrat. Well, I'm a Warwick Democrat. I'm not sure what all that means, but we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll look forward to it. I have no, uh, you know, preset conditions or notions. Um, He wants to do what's right for Rhode Island. I know my members want to do what's right. I'm sure we're going to find common ground and work together. Um, And I I look forward to it. I mean, I I think it's, you know, he he has said, and I believe him to be sincere, that he's been ready for this moment for six years. So this is his time. And I look forward to Good things from the governor. Uh, I gave an interview to my local hometown paper, the Warwick Beacon, and I complimented him on some of his accomplishments and some of the areas that he prioritizes and focuses. I think small business is critical and I I, I commend the governor for that. I think it's a wonderful thing that he's going to make that a priority of his administration. I share that. I look forward to working with him on that.
1: We get this, this, um, we've heard that we're going to have a great Rhode Island summer. The governor said that, the health department said that. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if that means everybody's going to be maskless and having a great time at the beach. But is that something, you know, just a gut instinct from, from the information you get that, that people can look forward to, or is it better to say, Hey, look, let's be realistic. 2022 is the year that we're going to start to have something more normal. I know this is way past your, <laughs> you know, where this is something that the, 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 uh, oh, wow. federal level would be better suited yes. to answer, but.
0: No, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. I think I've said this, I'm the eternal optimist and Mm -hmm. I I tend to disagree with them. I think we're going to have a great spring. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. I I really want, I think when April and May rolls around, the weather will be nicer. I hope everybody will have had their two vaccine shots and, you know, waited the appropriate time. I look forward to going back in the chamber and we have the most beautiful state house in the country. I've been around, I've visited a lot of them. I I look forward to that and, and to the warm weather and I look forward to, you know, just opening the windows and getting fresh air. So I, I hope it's earlier than the summer and I hope we have a great spring. And, and and Rhode Islanders are ready. We're resilient people. You know, we've been through the blizzards and we've been through hurricanes and we'll survive the pandemic and we will move forward. And and we'll move forward in a very optimistic way. I'm, I'm confident. I'm a big believer in the state of Rhode Island.
1: Mm-hmm. Rhode
0: Island's podcast of record, B-Town.